0: By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello,
1: I'm Cheryl Jones and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today I'm talking with Aida Salazar. Aida is a multidisciplinary writer, educator, arts administrator, and mother that uses text to explore issues of identity and social justice. With an MFA in writing from the California Institute of the Arts, her writing has appeared in the Huffington Post and Women in Performance Journal of Feminist Theory. She was a resident writer at Hedgebrook Writers' Colony and attended Squaw Valley Writers' Workshop. She currently lives in Oakland, California with her husband, Latin jazz musician John Santos, and homeschools her two fiery artistic children for whom many of her children's stories have been written. Her story by the light of the moon is being adapted into a ballet production by choreographer Isabel Sajjam, Sajjam, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that right, for the Sonoma Conservatory of Dance. This Chicana ballet will be one of the few of its kind in ballet history. She's at work on a novel in verse for middle grades, and a book-length memoir, In the Womb of Love, about the death of her firstborn infant child, which is a big part of what we'll be talking about today. Welcome, Aida. Thank you, Cheryl, for having me. Oh, I'm, it's I, I'm, it's a real pleasure, and uh, sometimes the way that... Well, it's always a little magical the way I connect with guests, but I think there's a special magic with you because, um, totally separately, on the one hand, I had read a beautiful post that you wrote about Amelie and that experience. And I was like, that person needs to come on my show. Mm -hmm. Um, But I hadn't quite uh, taken action. And then at the very same time, I was singing with your children. in the Hiroshima piece that Anthony Brown's orchestra did, but I was failing to make the connection that you were that same person. And then when our friend uh, Michaela emailed us both to connect us, I'm like, of course, you know, <laughs> it's the same yeah, person. Yeah, a- uh, it was just such a magical realization. Um, so I'm very happy to have you here today. Thank you. Thank you so much. You bet. Um, so Obviously, uh, this, this loss you had of your first child is very, uh, is what first drew me to have you on the show. But I'm also aware that, um, there were things leading up to that. Um, you know, other losses and other experiences that kind of also informed your sense of grief as a part of your life. And I wonder if you could just let the listeners in on some aspects of that, that road to your moments, your, your life with Amelie. Sure. Um, so I, I
2: grew up in southeast L.A. Um, uh, in a family of seven children. And my eldest sister was was sort of our guiding light. She was, um a brilliant young creative um spirit in our in our lives. And um she was really intelligent. Um and she had a little bit of a difficulty with with negotiating her her it, you know, intellectual um you know, power with her emotional development and and subsequently got very depressed. And, um, and she ultimately, um, killed herself. She, she, um, she kill, uh, killed herself by, you know, taking her antidepressants. And mm-hmm. I was 13 years old when that happened. And it really kind of, um, uh, shifted, you know, my, my position as a child into, into one of a, you know, growing adult. And it made the world. Um, you know, turn upside down, of course, but also just gave me a sense of of mortality that I mm. that you don't have until you you know you experience a loss um, absolutely that closely. And so, um, because she's excelled in school, and because she was you know so incredible in 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 our world and and in the world, um, I kind of made it my my goal to to go and and take. Take after her, you know, kind of follow in her footsteps, so to speak. And, um, and so I, I decided to do that. I went to college and I, I, um, I studied. I did everything I possibly could to kind of emulate her. Um, and, and I decided at, you know, very early on at that point that I didn't want to have children. And, um, for a really long time, I just said, you know i didn't come to this world to procreate, and my father would actually was really sad about that because you know we come from this very Mexican big family, and mm. it just it didn't make sense for him yeah. and so um um but when I met um John, it was this you know really kind of a uh a a turning point and one accident, um, later, you know, we were faced with a challenge to, you know, the choice of, of, do we, do we have a child or do we not? And we decided to keep, um, our child. So, um, that, that in and of itself sent us into another, another, um, trajectory, but, um, but it was that first, you know, um challenge of losing my my sister that that really informed the bigger part of my childhood and, and adolescence and and young adult life
1: that's really uh fascinating to me in the sense that when things happen to us very young uh it feels to me like our decisions about it tend to be very unilateral you know mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah uh, you know it's it's kind of one pointed there's not a huge nuance but life came along and and shifted you about what you concluded at 14 right. and maybe maybe we could say love too
2: absolutely absolutely and and a different kind of um reimagining of what my purpose in life might be
1: also did it Caught, did it invite you to reassess how you were going to honor your sister in your life? Uh, you know, it, it seems as if listening to you, you uh, following her, her footsteps, as in being the the most like her you could be, was what you decided originally. But I'm guessing you still, in some way, carry her through what you do. Uh, yeah, absolutely. She,
2: um, she's always, um, I feel like she's always a, a, a guiding light. Um, even, you know, she was when we were children and, and, and we, we missed her so terribly. Um, but then as, as I, as I, as I get older, I imagine, well, what would she have done? How mm-hmm. she, what kind of choices would she have made? And, and sometimes I ask for her help, you know, and I say, mm-hmm. you no. Know, well, it's about what do I do? And um and I and she has come and you know, she was really smart beyond her years. In fact, you know, she had an IQ level that was off the charts and it was part of her problem. And um and but but it was also, you know, something that, that really guided us, um, you know, because we were immigrant children growing up in, in Southeast L.A., she, she, was, she taught us to be translators. She taught us to negotiate the world um, mm. it, that, was, that was foreign to us but that we needed to kind of um, um, adapt to whether we liked it or not if we lived in this country. So, um, so yeah, she's, she's definitely still, still very
1: present. And she, was she the oldest? She was the oldest absolutely so how old was she at at the time of, of her death she was almost 18 she was
2: 2 months shy of her 18th birthday she she died on january 2nd
1: mm. so uh also mm-hmm. there's some sense that she was uh you know my my wife is the oldest of eight and mm-hmm. uh there's a way in which she's the parent too Absolutely. She's def- definitely the third parent so i can mm-hmm. really uh, that's that's my point of reference for what you're talking about that she was so much more than your big sister mm-hmm. in some way she was your your um uh navigator perhaps Yeah. Yes. Mm. absolutely and and she was she was my mother's firstborn and she
2: actually has a very interesting she had a very interesting birth that i you know i write about in the memoir but she was born um um blue she, they, the my, she was born in Mexico, and my aunt, um, she was the, the delivering doctor, and um, and so when she was born, she was completely blue, and and um, they they my aunt put her um, on a metal table and covered her with a white sheet, and she went to reach for the holy water and told my mother to please uh, to pray for her, and our father and. Um, and as she pr- sprinkled holy water on her, my mother says that she um, she was praying. You know, she prayed to God. She said, please, please let me have my baby because um, she didn't. My mother uh, was was young. She was nineteen years old when she had her, mm. and um, and she was shamed for having her um, out of out of wedlock. And so she said, you know, after all I've been through to have this baby, you want to take her from me now, and. Um, and, and she said, please, I'll do anything. And, and at that moment, my aunt sprinkled the holy water on, on the, on the sheet, and the baby cried from underneath the sheet. And, um, and so when she died, my mother said, you know, I feel like God just, He, He, um, He, He, um, completed His part of, of, of my plea, you know, of what I asked for, mm. and and he lent it, mm. lent her to me only seventeen years, and so, you know, it, uh, it, it's interesting because my mother and I now are linked in that, in that um, we both lost our firstborn children, and also, you know, um, my my uh, one of my sisters, the one that's old, uh, just a year and a half older than me also lost her firstborn daughter and so there's mm. this, this kind of um, uh, you know communion that we have in this understanding of losing our daughters our firstborn daughters and it's this very deep pain and I, w- I witnessed my mother just you know fold over day after day even though she had these six other children to take care of just completely wrecked by the loss and and I was only able to to kind of remember it as I was writing about about my loss and how and I and I saw it mirrored and I know my sister experienced the same thing. So
1: the other so thing yeah. I hear in that Aida is that somehow mm-hmm. you know uh, I've interviewed a lot of women who've lost babies mm-hmm. and um, quite a number now and um, there's there's a sense of support uh that that these particular women have felt but also a sense of trying to make sense of it within themselves by themselves mm-hmm. and i'm very struck by your mother your sister and you all si- you know simultaneously involved in the process of trying to make sense of what happened uh mm-hmm. i just i can imagine how um how deep that might be between you yes it's that kind of i mean we don't we don't um we haven't at
2: this point kind of just um sat down and had a deep talk about it or anything like that right. it's, it's beyond of, that <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, more, it's more of a of just a, a real understanding, a real knowing that 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 w- we share this and um and you know, we've acknowledged that all three of us have had this loss, and 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 we just say, you know, like when any one of us are, you know, f- well up with tears and and feel sad about it, or you know, and we we just kind of sit with that that sadness with each other. I know my mother and I, especially, you know, she looks at me and she says, "I know you know what this feels like. It's 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 so it's such a tremendous loss."
1: And she also gave you that that statement i i was given her for you mm-hmm. know 17 years which is which is a hard thing to come to yeah and i imagine has meaning for you seeing your mother be able to express that as well mm-hmm. uh, you know i'd well, love to give the pers- oh go ahead no well it just gave me perspective that
2: this is you know that we are on borrowed time in some mm-hmm. ways. you know
1: yes I'd love to give the listeners a sense of how you write about the experience of being Amelie's mother. And I guess we should say there that you very quickly, uh, became pregnant with your, um, first living daughter, you know, your, uh, yeah. your second child, um, which is a big part of this. But I'd really love for people to hear, uh, the part of the book, um, on the window seat. Sure. Um, so this um, so this um, um, memoir is
2: um, is a, is an extended letter written to the second born while, while she was still in utero, and this is this is a part of that. Do you feel the sun's warmth through my skin, cariñito? I'm in a special area of our house, the place where the eastern morning light creeps through the window tenderly covers the aqua blue walls and makes everything look as if it were underwater. By the principles of feng shui, the location is the love corner of the house and feels every bit of it. I brought Amali to this nook and cradled her here. I held her tiny body to the window, moved the blankets away from her head, and used the rays of this light to look over every pore on her face. I wanted to memorize all that I could the way her nose curved into the figure of a wine grape, her reddish-brown eyebrows that I suspect she inherited from my mother's side of the family, how her top lip pouted in a loving kiss that wasn't, her long, sparse lashes that looked like wet little feathers pointing up to the sky as she slept, the enduring roundness of her baby cheeks and her eyes, that blue slate that beamed a bounty of bendiciones, Blessings that straddled the world between the here and thereafter. I needed this clarity because I knew how close she was to death. I knew that later I would have to rely on my memory's ability to drink her in and remember. Things are so much clearer in this hue of blue. I sit here again in the same place to see if I can hold both of you inside this locket of my heart and continue to tell you of the weight we carry. I hope that somehow the very act of telling will serve as a release from the binds that envelop us. You have endured six months of silence for me. Every time I tried to say anything to you, waves of sadness came over me and I could do nothing but cry. I battled against the fear that you too might have Amali's fate. You could have complications at birth. You could die in your sleep or worse, you could die inside of me. I breathe. Slowly, as you grow, I am shaken out of silence, and I dare love you. I let my naked, growing belly bask before the sun. I've read that your eyes will develop a better sense of light and darkness if I irregularly expose my belly like this. My body is now round with you, as it was with Amali. My body has a memory of its own, and knew exactly which ways to contort when I became pregnant with you only three months after losing Amali. My belly bulged immediately like a little balloon. One night, as I lay quietly crying and cursing at the ceiling, I was alarmed when I felt your first flutters. You were only 14 weeks conceived yet, creating a soft rumble inside of me. I was shocked because it was so so soon, Most women feel their babies during the 18th week. Your father was out of town and it became clear to me at that moment that I was no longer alone. You were announcing your presence as if by megaphone. This announcement worried me because I did not want anyone to know I was pregnant. The thought of other scrutiny makes me nervous. I'm amazed at how public a figure you become when you are pregnant. It is as if You are the ripest mango in the fruit stand, and any stranger on the street can pick you up, hold the curve of your torso, and ask a string of questions about your origin. Many people feel it's okay to ask for the most intimate details, too. Your father says, I don't have to answer questions from strangers when they ask, but I do because I don't want to be rude. If they know about Amali, the questions are more inappropriate or severe, and they are not able to hide their concern and unsolicited advice. A woman scolded me once and said, you will be having this child in the hospital, right? If they don't know about Amali, they ask if this is our first child, how far along in the pregnancy I am, if it is a boy or a girl, where I will be delivering and how. The first question is the most difficult to answer because I do not want to tell total strangers our story. It makes me feel as open as a split fig. I used to answer that you were our first child, but doing that felt as if I had abandoned Amali and a knot always formed in my throat as the words escaped my mouth. I then decided that not acknowledging her is no way to honor her life and our place in our family, and that if I shocked a complete stranger to say we lost our firstborn, then it was their burden to deal with for being nosy and intrusive. Mostly, I avoid contact with people eye contact with people who approach me, and that keeps their inquiries at bay. We have enough to contend with my own worrying and uncertainty. I want to be like my dog Crystal, who dug a hole beneath our house and had her babies alone in that hole with no one to bother her at all. She came out with her pups in her mouth and took them inside where it was warm and the smell of her blood could not attract other animals. It is perhaps your intention to make yourself seen and known prominently so that, I, so that I do not forget that you are with me now. I heard my prenatal yoga teacher say that a woman's uterus is the most vulnerable of her organs. It is where she stores all traumas. And there you are, swimming in the most wounded and shifting place within me. You are so brave to have come as you did during this time.
1: Mm. Let's talk about that after our break. Aida, that that was really very beautiful. And listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. You can find Aida Salazar at AidaSalazar.com. Be back soon.
3: Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship and anxiety expert, Sandra Reisch. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
0: Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Mm -hmm.
1: I'm Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Aida Salazar, who's writing a memoir about her first child, who died after 21 days of life. And um, first of all, thank you for that beautiful piece of writing. I I feel as if um, I don't know. I feel as if I've I've sat on the window seat with you and Amali. Mm-hmm. That that yeah, yeah. Um, she's so vivid in my in my mind after listening to you. Well,
2: it's, thank you so much. Um, you know that was kind of a promise that I made to her while I was holding her and she was dying. You know, I I knew she was kind of escaping, um, um, and so I wanted to. I, I promised that I would write her into existence,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: that that was my only real way of 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 kind of keeping her. And um, and so you know. I wrote kind of feverishly after, right after she died, you know, very incoherent and and, um, and angry and, you know, I've processed a lot through the writing, but, but, you know, there are fragments in there that I still, that I, I'm so glad that I wrote and I took the time to write, um, because it, it really, you know, it, you know, to kind of live in that way is, is kind of really special for me.
1: Hmm. To you can go right back to looking at her. I imagine mm-hmm. when you write something right in the present moment, it can be that way. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, we didn't talk in detail about kind of Amali's story, except uh, for the kind of main. Uh, I don't know the umbrella being that her life was so short. But mm-hmm. could you talk some about? Um, you know we we kind of left you thinking you would never have children <laughs> let's let's catch up to uh you know now you've got um two living children and amali mm-hmm. um, and um let's fill that in for people okay well um so we decided to keep
2: amali even though my husband is was in his late 40s at the time other, um, he's, uh, a little bit older than me. and and we, um, we decided to, to start a family with her and, um, I am a practitioner of holistic medicine and, um, and really wanted to have a home birth. And, um, and so we found, uh, uh the most experienced midwife that we could find and, um, and, you know, we went through a whole, whole process, but then, um, we soon discovered that she was breached, um, uh, and, um, I tried everything that I possibly could to turn her to, to, um, you know, to m- make sure that she could be okay, um, coming out. But the midwife who had delivered breaches before said that it would, that, you know, that really it was, it was just a matter of, of, you know, of, um, of surrendering to my fear and 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 then processing and that that you know children have been born breach for centuries and that you mm-hmm. know and that they were fine and so we really kind of went with that belief and understanding and and um, and but but at her at her birth, her birth was um, was incredibly traumatic and um, and she um, it wasn't because of the breach that that she um, was asphyxiated. It was because the cord was wrapped twice around her neck, um, mm. and um, and uh, she she wasn't breathing. They immediately put oxygen on her, and, and they took her away to Children's Hospital, and and they they intubated her, and she you know was lucid at at the time, but but after several you know, um, uh, tests. They discovered that she was she was um, severely brain damaged to the point that she she had no rooting reflex. She couldn't suckle. You know, half her diaphragm was paralyzed. Mm-hmm. She had big hematomas on her head. Um, you know, she had she had suffered a really um, incredible journey in in in, in the birth. And um, and so we went before the medical board, um, the ethics board at Children's Hospital, and they recommended that we take her off of life support. And um, the the essay that I wrote for the Huffington Post was really in support of of the right to die, because at that point, you know, I mean, it's this is true for children, whether or not the re- uh, right to die this bill, um you know, this. Law that, that gives you lucid people the ability to to um, end their suffering euthanasia faster um, is, um, is 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 it, it only applies to adults? It doesn't apply to, to children. But it brought it up for me because at that point they gave us the um, the option only to to just leave her on the life support until her organs gave out. Or um, or take her off life support, which would be quicker, and um, and she would have to you know succumb to to
1: dehydration and hunger. Mm. And so, what a horrible choice for a parent to have to to have to make. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And um, so we decided,
2: of course, to do the what we felt was the most compassionate of the two choices. The other, you know, she was, you know, essentially brain dead and would have just been sitting there. And, and we, they don't, they're not sure how long she would have lived, but it just didn't seem humane. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, we, we took her off life support and then we took her home. Um, and, and she, she lived for, for two and a half weeks once we removed life support. So it didn't happen right away. I mean, part of me, hoping that it would but she you knows she was breathing on her own and that was it and we had to um you know sign do not resuscitate papers and mm-hmm. sorts, you know things but, but yeah we wanted her to, to come home and, and and die at home where where she was
1: born But we were and, and also where you could hold her and love her and um and nourish that relationship, yes. And and grieve. Open grieving one mm-hmm. of the
2: things that I wasn't able to do. I was, you know, at the um, at the NICU nonstop sitting on this little stool because they put them in these little these little beds and they're attached to all sorts of machines and the machines are going day and night and and the NICU was filled with children, all who had been born in the hospital, in fact, and who who you know were in worse or similar um situations as Amali. Mm. And 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 you know the nurses would come and and I would you know cry loudly I guess and they would come and you know stand there and, and shush me and and so it was not you know a place that where I could openly grieve and and here at home we would had had our garden we had you know these little nooks in the house where I could just you know be with that and be with her.
1: Mm-hmm. There, so, uh, there, there's something kind of between the lines and everything you just talked about, which is, a, I think, a truism about how others relate to someone's loss. You know that mm-hmm. that we're on the defensive that we somehow did something wrong. And mm-hmm. um, I know for sure that uh, hospital births have dangers home births mm-hmm. have dangers, mm-hmm. you know, that um, we've, we've lost touch with the fact that, that giving birth is a rather dangerous occupation, you know, um, and it sounds as if you almost had to cope with people thinking you did the wrong thing or something. Um, Absolutely. We did. We did. Um,
2: you know, even in our own family, people who were very upset because we had home birth um and but adamantly the 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 doctors at children 's hospital said you your child- your child did just did not happen because of the home birth. you have to know this would have happened in a hospital birth um, so you know we we held closely to that belief and and but 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 being home definitely gave us the you know the freedom to, to grieve and we didn't invite anybody over, and we didn't we you know I asked everybody to to just leave us alone and very few people came and we, we didn't want anyone to come, we just wanted to be home with our child yes and um well, and and partly because yeah, I mean we were navigating some of that but but mostly because it just felt um,
1: too, too too raw to to host or entertain or
2: Sure, so you needed to emotions. be.
1: You needed to be in that, that bubble together. hmm. I think good. I think this poem, uh, Amali Celeste Forever, um, speaks to what we're talking about. Could Could you share that? Sure. And and then we'll have we'll be going to another break. Okay. There is an
2: ache that hold that takes hold of me, deep at its core. It is an ocean of loss, of love smothered. Amali, my child. Amali, name I still call in my sleep, with the enormousness of longing. To love her, to mother her, to be frustrated and tired by her, to have bore witness to the life she would have lived. Odd as it is, to embrace the ache is like holding her again in the cradle of those moments in which she looked back at me with the brilliance of recognition. Mommy, I know you. I am glad you are here. It is a month-long ache, the 17th of May to the 17th of June, every day weighted by the simultaneity of living and remembering. On this day, I labored for 12 hours. On this day, she was still in a coma. On this day, they removed life support. On this day, we went before Yemaya. On this day, we brought her home. On this day, she took her last breath. Blessed by the ache, blessed by the child, Amali Celeste forever.
1: This. This. Uh line blessed by the ache, blessed by the child mm-hmm. um, that that so resonates with my um, my sense that in in loss there's the there's kind of what you lose and what you keep yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. that I, I've come more and more to focus on what I keep and mm-hmm. um, you capture it in that one line, you know, what you lose, what you keep. Um, that touched me a lot well, thank you thank you so much um, I, I'm also we'll talk more about this when we come back but I'm also just really struck by the the enormous gravity of being pregnant with another child while going through that grief mm-hmm. Uh I, I really want to hear. We've heard a little bit about that, but I want to talk about that more when we, when we come back. Okay, great. Um, so out there, go ahead and go to either the, the host page at Good Grief Radio at voice, voiceamerica.com or my website, weatheringgrief.com, or to find Aida Salazar directly, go to aidasalazar.com. Back after the break
3: Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness.
0: You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to good grief. Hi, I'm
1: your host, Gerald Jones, and I'm here with Aida Salazar, who has, is in the midst of writing a beautiful memoir about the law, the death of her first child, the life and the death of her first child, and through the viewpoint of being uh, pregnant with her second child. And before the break, Aida, we were, we were beginning to talk about that, and I was saying, uh, I was trying to put myself in your shoes a little bit, which, of course, I can't entirely, but the, the dramatic experience of, of being again pregnant while grieving your first child uh, just seemed so profound to me. And I wondered if you could talk more about that um, that collision, in a way, of experiences. Well, it was a huge irony because on some, on some level, I, you know, after she
2: died, um, Amali died, you know, my body was still producing milk, and, um, you know, and it had, it showed all the signs of this, you know, of, of, you know, postpartum mother, but I had no baby to hold and no child to mother, and the only thing that I wanted to do was mother. And it was kind of like this obsession, mm. and 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 when you know finally I was able to get pregnant. I mean, for me, three months was so long. But it, but it, but it, it it when I was able to be pregnant, I was in the depth of 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 um of despair. I mean, I I it was the darkest time I had ever experienced in my life. Um, it was three months in, and and you know there's a lot of family who was blaming us for the loss of the baby. And that I took that very, very heavily and I was, you know, contemplating, contemplating suicide. And it was just, it was really a dark time. And had it not been for that positive result, pregnancy result, I, I think I might've actually, you know, attempted, but, but, um, so in, in some ways, you know, this, this child came to save me. And so, She saved me from, from my, from my grief and despair, but she also, um, but at the same time, I was very scared to, to have to go through it again, you know, like, oh great, I'm, I'm pregnant again, but, but oh my God, I'm pregnant again. You know, it was this, this realization that I'm going to have to go through this again and the same risk and something that you said earlier about how, how, um, Pregnancy, what what it is? It, I always feel like it's a portal. It's a portal to life or death, mm. you know, both for child and for mother. And and it's not an easy process, you know. It no, indeed. <laughs> indeed. I have they experienced the difficulty, <laughs> even, in
1: so, a, even in a even in a you know completely unremarkable pregnancy like I had, yeah. an unremarkable yeah. birth. It's. Probably the most, well, certainly the most intense physical experience I've ever had. Oh, absolutely! And, you know, so there. I'm, I'm putting myself in context of that, and then all of these other factors that just seem so impactful and, uh, uh, I don't know, <laughs> huge, yeah, yeah. huge, yeah, yeah. They are, they
2: are tr- tremendous. They're tremendous. I, um, you know. I was also suffering a lot of post-traumatic stress, and um, and so you know I would just be lying there in the morning, and 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 uh, uh, upon awakening, it was as if I was in a, a movie of of the experience of the the, the the death and the dying and the birth, and and it just was so vivid, and I would shake. It was it was really an intense period. So um, it wasn't until I was about. Six months pregnant, I started seeing an acupuncturist who had, ironically, um, uh, or or by chance, also taken had a loss. She had a stillborn, um, and so she asked me if I had talked to the baby, and I told her, No, I haven't. I'm too scared to to connect with. With the baby, I'm scared that if I get very attached, then and if something happens, and I, you know, I won't be able to handle it. And she said, "No, you should explain. You should really explain what's happening with the baby. The baby's feeling your grief, whether you like it or not. The baby is feeling every time you cry and every time you you, you, you suffer these post traumatic episodes. The baby is right there with you, and." Um, and I said, oh, my goodness, so she's right. I hadn't mm. thought about that. Mm. And, and so I went home, and I began a letter to my onboard child, who, who now is um, 10 years old. And she's, you know, a lively, spirited, clear child. And, um, and I began a letter to her, and, and it's, it turned into this, this memoir. And so, the writing was was what helped me process and channel that grief, and 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 together, kind of explain in a kind of metaphysical s- space, you know, the space of of not, you know, of course she she's not going to read this, you know, uh, uh, you know, in utero, but but I felt like by by. By writing, it was my way of kind of casting it out into the universe, and having her kind of generally, her spirit kind of generally understand what was happening. And also, it was it was a way of 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 invoking the spirit of my my baby who died.
1: And uh, you know, I, I don't know if you've seen the movie Return to Zero. Um, no, I, I haven't. I, I interviewed the the. Uh, Filmmaker's wife, and it's their story, um, mm-hmm. appar- apparently quite accurately, and there's a part in it where she's just, she can't connect. Mm-hmm. You know, she's too afraid to connect to her child, uh, the second child, mm-hmm. uh, just as you're describing. And um, to have a way to me when I'm writing, it gives me just a little bit of uh, of room around something, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, uh, because you're putting it on the page. So I I think that might well. Plus, it's what you do. You do write, you know. Mm-hmm. So it would be a natural thing. But also, I wonder if it just didn't give you a way to uh, be. Slightly less completely immersed in the trauma, and more able to have a conversation. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I think it,
2: it, it did help me. I didn't know it at the time, but I think it it helped and helps because this is a continual. It's a process but it helps me to make sense of the world in which I live. Writing in general yes but it uh, it made me, it helped me make sense of the pain that i was enduring and 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 look for the meaning in it you know i i could yes. not understand why why did this happen you know it was mm-hmm. the biggest question why me mm-hmm. and and why us why this baby i had you know done everything i possibly could to to protect and and was not cavalier about about the process at all you know but but it happened and 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 through writing I and through you know some as spiritual advice, I was able to understand that this was you know this was meant to happen because I was strong enough to endure her her life and her and and, and, and the destiny that she
1: had to live out and there's also just that um, I think there's a part of us that 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 thinks we can do something to prevent bad things until Mm -hmm. something really bad happens, and then we realize kind of we're not in charge. Absolutely, and that's also to me a very big, a a very big loss to assimilate, isn't it? You know that that the loss of that idea that we can just do the right thing and everything will turn out. So uh, that's sort of um, another Mm -hmm. thing. I know I was coping with in the illness Mm -hmm. of my wife. Just oh, I'm I'm completely not in charge. Uh, (laughs) You
2: know, there's a huge letting go of Mm. of of what you can't control.
1: Yes, and and really, um,
2: you know, if anything, just looking for um, the the hope in in what is around you. You know, Um, my husband was incredibly. Positive. He was like a, you know, a pillar. Just, just was able to um, weather this in a way that I was not able to. And and I clung to him because he was my he was my life vest.
1: Well, that's I it, that that's it is, I I imagine that as a very deepening thing between you. Then oh, if, absolutely.
2: If absolutely. you found
1: out you could do that together, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and. And he, and he was able to kind of turn
2: around and, and immediately write songs and, and process his, his, his feelings. And so that was a really wonderful way of um, example to have in my life at the time to watch him process his loss through music. And, um,
1: and I, I imagine he watched you process yours through writing. Yes, but not
2: as much. It you know it it, it was it was um, more I, it private, was for private you. privately. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Well, now mm-hmm. he gets that opportunity. I guess now he does. Absolutely. <laughs> um, there's there's another poem I'd love for you to share because it's a little bit. It's a few years later, and you were just talking about kind of over time finding a way to make sense of what's happened, mm-hmm. uh, and and so um, I feel that. That's captured a bit in the poem May Again. Okay.
2: It is May again, when blue blemishes of sky fold over the rain. Buds bloom at the seams, and the hummingbird, el colibri, ignites a bounty of blessings in our sore. It is May again, a time synonymous with birthing the impermanence of our lives pushed up against the tapestry of memory and pollen, golden green and red as the color of my living daughter's eyes. She has just turned one. My firstborn daughter would have been two. Om Mani Pemehom. It is May again, a time also synonymous with dying. Within me burrowed are their little beings still, together in a brew of loss and love. What a triumph to be born, life emerging from life in a tangle of violence and beauty. But an equal triumph it is to leave breath behind, to surrender to the inescapable will of nature. It will be May again, despite winter's forced hibernations or the dander of dandelions wilted in the sun, when el colibri will come to my window to drink from the blossoms of fuchsia, and the laughter of a little girl will echo in our garden, growing.
1: It will be one day in May. At the bottom of my, uh, the pages of my website is a quote, a Shelley quote. It's uh, if winters here can spring be far behind, mm-hmm. uh, which is that same same feeling of. Um, you know may will come again, mm-hmm. and that death can be a part of that season too you know yeah. that that sort of um what i what I feel when I hear that is uh there's a sort of learning to be with it all at the same time that grief seems to invite
2: yes absolutely as as time as time goes on i mean at, and also by force, you know, you can't, Yes, you can't escape that.
1: Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. if, if, unless I guess there are people maybe who, uh, you know, I've known people to somehow, I, I've never been able to figure out how, but some people somehow shut down grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe not so much then there's a kind of dullness. But if you either can't or don't choose to shut it down, then there's sort of a lot of feelings all at once, a lot of mm-hmm. experiences all at once, it seems to me. Yes,
2: yes. And I, I think the, the learning and the growing that happens for us when we experience a loss is that
1: holding those two is, is part of, of our life forever. Mm-hmm. It's interesting too to me that because I, I know your living children, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. not well, but um, mm-hmm. they are such wondrous beings. Yeah. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I don't know like how else to put it, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean they're just being around them was so beautiful. And I have to think that somehow Amali is a part of that oh yeah and and I wonder how you think about that for yourself well,
2: you know every every um, May seventeenth we go to the ocean. And we've been in to Puerto Rico and we've been in San Luis obispo and we've been in San francisco and we all we and we go to to honor her because before she died we went to we took her to the ocean and 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 we had a, this magical experience there with her and so we we it's our ritual and so they know that she is a part of of them and she you know, my, they, when they were younger, they would draw pictures of, of their family, and it was, you know, always with a little baby floating somewhere in, in, mm. in the heavens. And so, um, you know, absolutely, you know, I, 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 when I was able to mother, I kind of, kind of decided I would be like that overachieving, you know, every second that I possibly can love them mother, but um, you know, of course we have our Challenges
1: and they. You know. It's real life, you mean? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, but, somebody you know we, that's a beautiful place to stop for the day, Aida. I think oh, that's okay. just perfect to stop with your beautiful children and how, how the three of them <laughs> are yes. uh, in this life together, yes. experiencing it. I want to thank you so much for being thank with me today. You. I really, really enjoyed myself. I hope we have another chance to connect in our, in our lives. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sherifa. For, for Absolutely, me. and and listeners, next week I'm going to welcome Reggie Carpenter. Reggie's a storyteller who began to focus her storytelling on healing stories for grievers, especially children, after the sudden death of her brother. She'll be telling some stories too, which I can't wait for. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Mm-hmm.